It's going to be a good one today. Psalm 127, when you have it, say, I have it. Uh, we're looking at one of the Psalms of Ascent. I'll get into what these mean in just a second. Verse 1 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, it is in vain that the watchman stays awake. Verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to sleep late, eating the bread of your anxious toil. Here it is, for God, he gives sleep to his beloved. Someone say amen to that. My daughter's 15 months, I'll take some more sleep. I want to title this message today uh, as we continue in our series, You're So Vain. Subtitle, you probably think this sermon is about you. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Thank you for the spirit of revelation. Give our minds illumination that we would experience transformation. We don't need just another motivational speech. We don't need just some self-help stuff that we could get in a therapy book. God, we need you. We don't just need another good feeling. We need an encounter with you. So use these words as we uh, go deeper into who you are in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, someone say amen and amen, amen. Respectfully, turn to someone and say, you're so vain. You're so vain. You are so vain. Three weeks ago, we uh, kicked off a brand new collection of messages that we're calling Road Trip Music. Uh, For the last three weeks, we've been looking at the book of Psalms, and particularly, we're looking at Psalms 120 to 134. Now, what's funny about these Psalms is these 15 Psalms, these were sung as Israel would go on their way to the temple. So we're not just reading normal Psalms, we're reading uh, a playlist for the road. We're reading what Israel would put on their Spotify if they were driving on their way to church. These were the songs that all the priests and all the members would come together. And as they journeyed to church, to the temple, they would sing these psalms. And what we've been realizing as a church is that we ought to have a song for our journey too. Most of the times we know where we want to go, but what we're not good with is how long it takes to get there. You ever been there before God shows you something? You're going to get married and you're going to be blessed. And all the single people said, hallelujah. But then from the time you hear that to when you actually meet that person, there's this gap right there. And what if I said that your faith was not determined by how much you want something or what you do when you get something? What if I said your faith was determined by how well you do in the gap? The sign of a mature Christian is not they always get what they want. The sign of a mature Christian is they know how to handle it when they don't get what they want. And as we've been learning, the psalmists are showing us that like when you go to the temple to worship, there's some things in our heart we need to check before we even get there. Uh, Anybody, I'm a parent now, and so I'm understanding car seat frustration more than ever. It doesn't matter if you are 30 minutes early doesn't matter if you let your, yeah, all the moms are just looking at me like, PB, you talking. It doesn't matter if you plan. doesn't matter if you got an extra bag. Sometimes those extra 30 minutes just to get your kid in the car seat. I'm the pastor of this church, and I'll show up to church sometimes frustrated. What I've learned is it's, it's, it's often as we go that we get shaken from who we actually are. It's usually while we're waiting that we forget about the things that make up 
who God created us to be. Uh, I want to just go over what this word vain means because there's a couple different ideas. But let me show you a couple definitions real quick. First of all, this is the one I think we all think of right away is having, vain means having or showing an excessively high opinion on one's abilities, appearance, or worth. That song, You're So Vain, because you're constantly thinking it's all about you. You're constantly worried about your appearance. You're constantly thinking about your abilities. What do people think about my abilities? Do people know that I have abilities? Are they going to recognize that I have abilities? Or do, you know, all, and and, and th- that, that's being vain. That's, that's getting caught up in the wrong things. I would like to go a little further in vain, though, and show you what the psalmist means when he says, it is in vain that you rise early for work and go to bed late. He says, it is in vain that you eat the bread of your anxious toil. I love the language. He goes, your paycheck is important, but it's in vain if you find your identity from it. Your, your paycheck will help provide for you, but don't forget the one that gave you the ability to get that paycheck. Hello, Deuteronomy chapter one. He gives us the ability to get wealth. So yes, you made the money, but it came from God. Here's the second definition of vain, producing no result useless. The psalmist says it is useless that you wake up early for work and then you go to sleep late at night and you're anxious. He goes, that's pointless to have a job if you're always anxious because God gives sleep. Someone say sleep to his beloved. I want to go deeper in that, but I want you to take a second just to go back to this idea of heart checks. You're so vain because as we are going somewhere, we have to make sure that we keep our hearts in alignment. And our hearts stay pure. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I used to get excited about how many people would come to the service. I'd be like, man, we had 250 kids at youth. Isn't that incredible? But 150 of them still wanted to go do something crazy. And so there's a vainness to trying to keep track of numbers. We like when more people come to church, but we celebrate the individual growth. When someone says, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. We celebrate those things because if we don't keep the main thing, the main thing, we will get frustrated really quick. As the Israelites are on their way to worship, David says, it's in vain that we work so hard for no meaning. It's in vain that our status and our positions define us. It is in vain that we put away money into a 401k or we put away money into a retirement. We think that's my security, (laughs) especially now that thing can be gone tomorrow. The psalmist says, as we prepare to worship, let us not forget what our hearts should be attached to. Let us not forget that our positions are not as important as our posture. Let us not forget the title that we carry is not as important as the character that we live with. I'm preaching better than you're responding. I'm telling you, there is something to be lost when we get caught up in how it looks, but we forget about what it means. I've been in meaningless pursuits before. I've been all caught up in appearances and I got to look the part. And now as a lead pastor, I'm done trying to look the part. I want to preach the truth. I want to get people leading the life that God's called us to. It takes some time, but it can't happen until our hearts are right. That's why Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart. When I'm going through a crisis, the last thing I guard is my heart. I guard my reputation, I guard my investment, I guard my possessions, you know, you're not going to do that. And the thing we don't look at the most is the thing that can kill us the easiest. We got to keep focused on our hearts. I want to look at Psalm 127 and give you four things I saw when I was studying this week. And I was interested because these four don't seem to go together all the time in our culture. 
but in the scriptures, there's something to learn from Psalm 127. So I want to go verse by verse and show you just some truths about how to get away from that vainness of appearances and that vainness of the things that don't matter. Could it be you're frustrated because your metrics for success are off? Does that make sense? Could it be that you are depleted because you're trying to achieve one thing that God never even wanted you to achieve? You're trying to achieve the thing that your parents wanted you to achieve or that your coworkers want you to achieve or that your phone keeps telling you to think you want to achieve. When God gives us principles and metrics that say, here's how you know things are on track. All right, are you with me? So take some notes today. This could be good. Number one, first thing from Psalm 127 is this, and I can attest, building takes work. If you're going to build your life, if you're going to build your finances, going to build your relationship with Jesus, uh, it's going to take some work. Uh, when we moved from California to start a church, we knew two people when we got here. And I just remember saying, like, okay, God's just going to, sh- the people are just going to walk through my front door. Like, oh my gosh, we're here. They're just going to show up. And a couple did, but it took actually going out and doing something and having meetings and going up to strangers and being like, you know, the first time I tried to talk to someone in Chautauqua County, they must have thought I was crazy because I was so like, this is the first person I'm talking to in Chautauqua County. Hey, 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 how you doing? They're like, good. Hey, so I'm a pastor. By the time I looked up, they walked away. Why? Because there was so much emphasis on what does this look like? What does this feel like? You know, do you know what I know? Do you? And, and, and we don't even see the main thing. So building takes work. Verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor, those who labor are in vain. Now, it's interesting because the Bible says, unless the Lord builds, those who build labor in vain. It would seem that there's two builders. Unless the Lord builds it, those that build it labor in vain. And I think what he's talking about, again, is a posture. He's not saying those that actually do the work are the ones that get the glory. He's saying unless God is the one orchestrating the building. Unless, here it is, unless Jesus is your general contractor, you are not actually building something worthwhile. If you are the one that gets to change things out, if you are the one that has the final say, then you are building your thing. But if it's God that says, no, keep going. No, I'll tell you when to stop. I'll tell you when to leave that church. I'll tell you when to end that relationship. I'll tell you when to give up on that dream. If that's him doing it, it's worthwhile. That's why I don't stress about opportunities in our church because it's God's will for this church to continue. That means it'll be God's bill that he's going to take care of. And I just got faith that if God sent us out here, if he called you out of where you've been the last few months, if this is now something new, he's not going to leave you out here by yourself. Might not have everything I want, but I got everything I need. Sometimes we just have to get back to that. Building takes work and sometimes it takes releasing the control over who's building what. I think the house here in Psalm 127 is not necessarily just the house, but it's also our sense of self-identity. It's also our sense of security. When you belong to a house, it's your purpose. It's your place. This is my people. That's why I love gospel. I love setup teams in the morning because we're, we're, we're getting stuff done. We're plugging in. We're setting up. We're cleaning. We're sweeping. We're trying to make this place even better before you get here. But there's a sense of camaraderie. There's a sense of connection. It's like I'm, I'm attached to this house now. And the church is not the place that we go. It's the people that we are. And so that house that he's talking about is a lot deeper than just you're getting a new building. 
Like when we talk about let's clean house, it's not just let's make the building better. It's let's clean house in our hearts and make our lives better. And let's sweep out the things that are not good. And when that scene comes on in that movie that you used to laugh about, it's time to start fast forwarding through that thing. Because I got to start changing something in me if I want to see the results out there. I love funny movies. I love stuff, but there's a difference now. Something comes across my screen when we're watching. I'll be like, give me that remote. No. It's just, it's different. I'm not advocating, you know, you push out everything that's not of Jesus. If that's for you, then we can talk. But I just think we got to gauge that as we're building, there's some things I got to say no to so that I can say yes to some other things. Building takes work. I think it's so foolish when our identity comes from what we do. And so easily we can get wrapped up into, well, I'm a pastor, so that's who I am. And I would like to challenge that thought today by using my title as an example. I'm the pastor, and people say, what do you do with your life? I pastor people. I help people. I preach and meet with people, counsel people, you know, whatever it takes. Like, that's what pastoring is. But my sense of identity can't come from pastoring. Because when I get around my daughter and she doesn't need a pastor, what do I do? Or, (laughs) I've done this way too many times. You try to pastor your wife... I'd be like, girl, you need to do this. She'd be like, don't pastor me. So myself of identity, it can't come from that. Because the moment that's gone, I lose me. It's got to come from something else. So so I'm not a a pastor who happens to be a son of God. I am a son of God who pastors. Are you following me? And that sense of, 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 of where we're at with that, it helps us build with the right mentality. Helps you build your future when you have the right understanding of your role in the thing. Um, One of my mentors said it like this. He says, when we're approaching an opportunity, we need to pray like it depends on God, but we need to work like it depends on us. And I love that. It's not saying work because you're the one that makes it happen. No, I pray like it depends on him. But when it's my turn, I got to put the work in and be willing to do it like it depends on me. I talked to one of our media volunteers recently, and he just was having a rough week, and he came up, and he says, you know, I'm having a rough week. And I go, yeah, man, we're just glad you're here. He says, you know, it's good to have a place I'm needed. I said, what do you mean? He, he says, it's good to know that if I don't show up, there's an emptiness to this position in our team. And he goes, and that drives me. It makes me feel proud to wake up and say, no, I got to get there because I'm a part of something. And I'm depending on God to show up, but I'm working like it depends on me. I would love to try to bring Jesus back into our understanding of work. You know, your job is a blessing, right? <laughs> Don't say amen too loud. Like, like, like the, 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 the places that God gives us for our job, this more spiritual word is our vocation. Our vocation is our, our calling. And we are called on many different levels, on three actually. We're called to follow Jesus. Everyone is called to follow Jesus. And then we're called to work as an act of our discipleship to Jesus. So this is when Paul says, do everything unto the Lord. You're not flipping burgers for McDonald's. You're flipping burgers for Jesus. When you show up to work with an excellence and you say, it doesn't matter if no one else cares at my job, I have a standard. That is an act of worship. So, so we got to rethink our jobs because you know two-thirds of your life you work. And imagine leaving Jesus out of two-thirds of your life. So, so it's an act of work. And then third, I'm called to my role in the family of God. So there's calling all over the place. But your job is a blessing from God. 
And our understanding of work has to go back to a place where it's like, I'm building, but I'm building as an act of worship. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing admin work right now, you know, uh, uh, like, like when people fill out cards and stuff. Our team usually fields them. We get them in our prayer chains. And then like on Mondays, I pull my laptop out and I, I put them on, I put all the admin side in. You know how often I'm going to be like, I'm the lead pastor. I shouldn't have to do admin work. But it's like, no, that is my worship to the Lord is to get in the office, get behind a computer, do an hour of admin work. It's not petty if I act as if it's my worship. It's only petty when I start to get entitled and think I'm too big to do this job. And it's like, don't be surprised if God's not there. Just stomping on toes today. You know? Are you with me? There's a great Latin phrase I found this week, nisi dominus frustra. And this basically means without the Lord, frustration. Without the Lord, there will be Frustration. Jesus actually helps uh, flesh that idea out a little bit more in John chapter 15. And he says this when he's talking to his disciples, abide in me and I in you. Listen to the intimacy. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Here it is, the kicker. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Listen to Jesus. Listen to his words. Apart from me, you can do nothing. (laughs) So meek and mild, Jesus. Apart from, without me, you can't do anything. He says earlier, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. So maybe there's no fruit in our lives because we're isolated. Maybe a branch by itself isn't bearing fruit, just like a life with no friends isn't bearing fruit. If we're going to build, we have to get away from that idea we can do it on our own. We have to get away from that idea that we can survive on our own. You know, it's not the apocalypse yet. I know we're prepping to survive, but we should still be able to integrate with society. Am I, am, I, am, I, am I talking right? Like, like I just want to keep driving on this a little bit more because work is what's going to add. Jesus said, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. He goes, guys, he told his disciples, he says, look at this harvest. There's so many people ready to get saved, but the workers are few. <laughs> so we have to work. Amen. Okay. Especially the last couple of years after COVID, there's been this like, I don't have to work. Everyone else will just do something for me. As Christians, I don't care where you fall politically. As Christians, you cannot get away from the fact of seed, time, and harvest. You got to put some seed in the ground. You got to wait and then reap your harvest. Okay, I believe God will send people to bless you when you're in need, but we can't depend on the blessings. Israel wandered for 40 years. And God used to rain manna from heaven while they were in the wilderness. When they got into the promised land, it stopped raining manna. Did you know that? Once they got into the promised land, God told them, okay, now you need to dig and start building and harvesting. So for a season, he'll provide miracles. But then there comes a time where he looks at us and says, what are you going to do with what I gave you? Building takes work. You ready for my next one? You're going to like this one. Number two, sleep is success. I said it. I said it. I am going to go in on this one for a second. Look at verse two. It is in vain, the psalmist says, that you rise up early, go to sleep. You know, go to late to rest, eating the bread of your anxious toil, for he what? He gives sleep to his beloved. 
uh, I want you to think about how difficult it is for so many people to just go to sleep anymore. There is a billion dollar sleep pill industry just because we don't know how to rest. We, we are sucked into the job that we're at or the phone that we have. And even in bed, we're just scrolling or we're thinking or we can't stop processing. And I would like to say because we think success is the grind. You know, there was a time like 20, 30 years ago where the most successful people were the ones like lounging by the pool in the middle of the day. Now you're successful if you've got like two phones and everyone's always blowing you up and you've got meetings to go to. We look at those people and say, oh, they're successful. They're always so busy. I'm sorry, in the kingdom, that's opposite. Right after I make a point about working, I want to make an even greater point about resting. Because if we work with the mentality of my work makes it done, but we never rest like we need to sustain it, it's going to be a frustrating life. Dominus, <laughs> Dominus frustra without the Lord is frustrating. So I would like to venture to say, God actually says in verse two, that sleep comes from him. And that sleep is not just for anybody, but the psalmist says he gives to his what? His beloved So God wants us to sleep. He wants us to rest. Okay, I don't know how many hours you sleep in a day, but if you work two-thirds of your life, let's just say you at least sleep a quarter of your life. Could be more if you wanted it to be. But that rest is how we sustain the blessings of God. Dallas Willard said this, the most important thing is not what you do, but who you become. Because who you become is what goes into eternity. What you do is only to to, to validate who you are. It may not be backwards where what we do determines who we are. And so I just love that the most important thing that we do is is not what we do. It's who we become. In a fast-paced world, we have to reconfigure our idea of success. As our world goes faster and people keep moving, we have to be okay with slowing down. My wife and I practice this every Friday. We call it our Sabbath. And for us, it's a biblical principle. God made the whole world in six days. And then you know what on the seventh day he did? It just says he rested. God rested not because he was tired. He rested because he was finished with his creation. And I think there is a thing, and especially in the West, like over here on this side of the world, we have this thing that's like, I got to keep going because that's adding to my idea of success. I'll get there and I'll get there and I'll get there. But on Fridays, you know, my wife and I, we're okay with the world continuing on without us. That's really what Sabbath is for me. It's not a spiritual, like it's spiritual. It's very deep for me. But at face value, I don't need to make anything of myself once a week. I make something of myself six days a week, something to be proud of. People to counsel, crises to walk right into, things to write, vision to cast, hospitals to go to, people to pray for, a daughter to feed, all that stuff, right? But one day a week, I reject the idea that I have to keep going. The world can continue without us and that's how we know we're at peace when we're okay with missing out on another thing or, oh, I, I, I wish I could go but I'm gonna be exhausted if I go. It's okay to say, no, I need to rest. Yes, yes. Let, me just, let me just give you an out here. It's okay to say, I need to rest because uh, uh, where we find our sense of value comes from how easy it is for us to relax. Can I show you one more verse on this? Jesus is talking to his disciples one day and he sends them out Sends 72 of them out. He says, or 72 by two. He says, go out and I want you to cast out demons and do miracles. And so they go all out. They go on a mission trip, right? And they all come back and they are so happy. They say, Jesus, 
we were casting out demons and they listened to us. Like, we really got that power. And let's look at what Jesus responds to. Verse 19, Jesus said, Behold, I have given you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and I've given you power over the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Listen to that. Yes, I'm anointed. You know, Benny Hinn got nothing on me. I, wah! But look what he says, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in the fact that the spirits are subject to you. What does he say? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So your sense of value doesn't come from the demons you cast out. It comes from your idea. It comes from the sense of my name is in heaven. My father left me. I know where I'm going. I know who I am. Vengeance isn't all on me trying to fix this. It just knows that God's going to take care of it one day. So Jesus says, sleep, rest. Don't find success to be your identifying factor. Find it in what Jesus has done for you and what the gospel's done for you. So sleep is success. Number three, we're still in Psalm 127. If building takes work and sleep is success, number three, that means that generations now are needed because I'm building and I'm resting from what I'm building, but who's gonna continue it when I'm gone? Look what he says, verse three, Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. One translation says children are a blessing. Children have always been God's idea. It's how, they, it's how we continue civilization. He's, more people, more worship. More worship, more glory. More glory, more meaning. Like He's always wanting to get more people into this world. And in verse four, it says something interesting. It says children are a blessing. They're like arrows in the quiver of a warrior. The quiver is what holds the arrows. And so, you know, all you moms in here that got like 10 kids, you got more arrows than me. But, but why the illustration here? The, 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 the kids are like arrows that when the enemy tries to cut off in this generation what God's doing, I say, no, I got a daughter who's going to know the power of the Holy Spirit. She's going to walk in the power. She's going to feel the power. And parents, you got to pray this over your kids. I pray over my daughter when I get her in the mornings or if I have a chance to. I pray. One thing I've been praying since she was born, that she would know the Holy Spirit from a young age. I've just been praying that because if she's an arrow in my quiver, I need to make sure I'm doing my part to get her ready. So generations are needed to keep this thing going. I'm almost done. Uh, There's a frustration amongst the next generation right now, though, that, 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 that the current generation isn't understanding the next generation. And that's because the current generation at one point came up into the world and the generation before them was like, you know, this is how it is. So you've always had this tension amongst generations. But I'm starting to see something now being a dad myself. My child has to feel what I'm saying before they hear what I'm saying. Um, Like this, parents, our kids need to feel our grace before they hear our truth. And, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically probably to a teenage age right now, just I feel this, but we are wanting our teenagers to respect us and hear what we're saying, but we're not involving enough grace to even get them close enough to us. And if they're going to be arrows in our quiver, we got to show them enough grace so that when we speak truth, they're receptive. But if it's just truth, 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 truth. It's the same in the LGBT community. If we're always just truth, 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 it's a sin, it's a sin, it's a sin. Most people that are gay know it's a sin. 
They know what the book says, but we do a very bad job at getting close enough to them so we can even share that in love. Am I talking? If you didn't know, you're in one of those churches now. We keep it real here. But it's the same principle with our kids. They're not going to hear what we're saying if we're always, ma, ma, ma. Now, maybe just my daughter's not old enough yet, but there is a sense that we can show them grace while praying and believing God will reveal truth. Uh, Peter Krause in his book, Parenthood, said this, Parenthood is about guiding the next generation, watch this, and forgiving the last. So what my parents were to me, I have to forgive before I can guide my daughter. That hit home at all. (laughs) It's about guiding and forgiving. Jesus loved children. As I close in Matthew chapter 19, uh, there's a moment where he's preaching and a lot of momentum. And it says this starting in the 13th verse, I think. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. It says, then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. So the kids were running up to Jesus, and the disciples were like, get away from Jesus. Get away, little kid. You got to remember, in those days, kids were like non-people. They didn't get counted. Just like women didn't get counted, kids were like, get the kids away from the serious stuff. Look how Jesus responds. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes even further. He doesn't just say that. He lays his hands on them, blesses them, and then sends them on our way. Children are needed for what we're doing as a church. You want to see how healthy a church is? Look at its youth group. Want to see how far a church is going to go? Look at the children's department. (laughs) Jesse and I were in kids, uh, was that last week? And y'all need to pray for us. Um, I think the kids team said, I'm on rotation now. Like when my wife preaches here, I'm going to try to go in there and kind of help just serve our team, build our team. And so I told Jesse, I said, hey, when I'm in there, you're in there. (laughs) But I want to say our team, we had like 30 something kids the other week. Incredible. A sign of a healthy church. Our kids team, you don't know what saying thank you to them does. Just when you pick up that kid and just, hey, let's thank them. Tell your kid, hey, th- let's thank them real quick. Let's, let's say thank you because that stuff helps perpetuate even more uh, what we're doing. So generations are needed. So as I close, I hope you get this. As we're building, it's going to take work. Sleep is success, okay? I want you to sleep this week. Rest this week. It's okay. But I got stuff to do. I know. That's the point. There's always stuff to do. I wish I had 25 hours, then I could sleep. No, you would just add another hour worth of things to do. So it's not about time. It's about intentionality with the time. It's not that we need more of it. We need to be more wise with it. Sleep is success. Generations are needed. And I love this. This is me all week. The devil was messing with me. And it made me think of point number four. Enemies will talk. Surprise. Enemies are going to talk about you. Listen to the continuation of Psalm 127. It says this, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, with the children. He will not be put to shame when he speaks to his enemies at the gate. And I'm reading this psalm this week, and I'm like, okay, I know I can stay in this psalm for all my points this week. I was like, this is rich text here. Some Bible's so good, you don't need to add anything at all. Just read the thing. You know what I mean? Just read it out loud for the people. So I read Psalm 27 over and over and over. And I'm like, God, how are you going to tell me that, you know, my building is in vain, that I need to rest and that I need children, but I'm going to talk to my enemies? 
Like, can't I stay away from my enemies? And I felt like the Lord say this week, no, the enemy only talks about people that are actually doing something. If you have friends that are like, ah, the devil's never messing with me, I'd be like, whoa, what are you doing for the kingdom? And that's not a guilt thing. I'm not trying to guilt you into it. I'm just saying our level of attacks usually comes from our level of involvement with God. Like, he's not happy that you came to church today. The devil is not happy that you're here. And, and I want to show you that even as you leave, he will be out there waiting for you. It's not that you can escape some of these things. But you can't have an understanding if you know it's coming. So it says, when he speaks to his enemies, he will be not put to shame. The enemies will talk, but we have to keep going. We have to keep pushing on. We have to look past the people that are pulling me backwards and start listening to the people that are actually pulling me forwards. You know, sometimes we're getting bad results from our lives because we've got the wrong intake. And my mom, she used to say garbage in, garbage out. So six days a week, I'm doing this, but one day a week, I'm expecting seven days of blessings. And it's like, no, 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 no. The enemies are going to talk. But blessed is he who puts his trust in the Lord. Blessed is he that says, oh yeah, go ahead and talk. Because I have people talk all the time. It comes with a job. Someone says, you know, you're moving to a small town. People talk a lot out there. I'm like, well, I've been in a pastor. I'm a pastor for 10 years, been living in a fishbowl. Know that people are going to talk. It's it's okay. But what happens is when they talk, do you get distracted? How does this work, having this kind of faith? Well, first of all, we must decrease and he must increase. If we want to experience the kind of victory when our enemies are talking and we're going through things and they're talking and they're talking, you must decrease. Wow, you're really going to church? You must decrease. Don't try to defend yourself. Don't try to be like, well, it's because of this. Just, yeah, God's really that good. Oh, so now you're all into God and stuff? I must decrease. Yeah, he's really that good. So what? You just think, yeah, I heard about this, your church in the movie. Yep, yep. He must decrease. I'm not going to pop off. He's got to increase. And then secondly, Jesus must be formed in our hearts. If we are going to get away from the vainness of life, we must decrease, he must increase, and then Jesus has to be formed in us. Not that we believe it and say it and post it and we're good. Put the t-shirt on, go rake the leaves. That was great on Saturday. But if Jesus isn't being formed on the inside, what good is that? There's another verse here. Psalm 23 says it like this. David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He says, my cup runs over you for me. Look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You heard that verse before? I was always amazed by this verse because um, I'm usually way out here. Like, look what I'm going through. Doesn't anybody see what's happening? I am fighting my enemy and he just keeps taunting me, taunting me, taunting me. And we just get so caught up in, yeah, the devil's coming at me. He's really messing with me. Can you believe he left me? I don't understand this. What's going on? What's going on? And as we're doing all this, he's promising to do this. Keep verse five up. You got Psalm 23 for me? I I, want to show you something because sometimes we are so distracted by the battle that we don't recognize he's set up a table for us. And look what the verse says. Uh, You prepare a table before me in the presence of who? My what? (laughs) So I'm fighting my enemies and God's saying, you don't need to fight like you think you need to fight. Because while you're over here fighting, I'm trying to get you to sit down and rest. 
Yeah, but I got to go and fight and show them who you are. They're not going to find out who I am from you fighting. They're going to come and see the table I set before you. And that's how they'll know that I'm with you. Not because of your response, but because of where you find your rest. Well, you know, you really think that a six-month-old church is going to be able to get into a building already? You guys don't even know anybody out here. Maybe. Well, you know, you know, the, the, I mean, do you really think that people in Chautauqua County are going to be down with this kind of preaching? Like, they, need to, they, they want the thou says the Lord. And Well, I just, I just turned around and there was a table. <laughs> We've looked at properties, we've looked at things, but a lot of times I think the success comes from what I'm doing instead of noticing he's already done it. I don't need to go find the opportunity. I need to walk into the one that he already prepared for me. You don't even know that while you're going through something, God's preparing you for what he prepared for you. So it's a miracle When your spouse walks in the building and you're like, they finally came. My spouse is here. This means so much. That's just one step to the table that he's prepared for you. Well, I didn't get the promotion. I didn't get the job. I'm so focused on this. I might lose my job. They're doing layoffs and things are going on. And we're so focused on fighting, not knowing that God says, are you almost done? Because once you're done fighting, you can start sitting. And once you start sitting, I start fighting for you. We must decrease. He must increase. So where are you at today? Where is that thing in your life that maybe you're like, ah, not knowing that right here, something's been prepared. You know what the Bible says has been prepared for you? A new life. When Jesus came to this earth, lived 33 and a half years, died that death and raised from the dead, he prepared a place for us. One time he's talking to the disciple and he's like, I got to go, I'm leaving soon. And they go, why are you leaving us? Jesus, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for us. God's prepared a place for you, friend. And today can be your day to stop fighting and start sitting and start resting. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for these moments that we share. Lord, may our posture always be rest. May we not be the type that need to perform to find our value. May we not be the type that need to prove ourselves. Lord, we take on your posture today. And we say, if you've prepared it, we're ready to sit in it. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're new to Christianity, or maybe you're like, man, I haven't been in church in a long time. I want to give you a chance maybe to get your life back to him today. The Bible calls this salvation. When we confess and believe and start that journey, we are saved from eternal damnation, man. We are saved from being separated from God. And if that's you and you want to receive that today, free gift of grace, no catch. If you'd like to receive Jesus, would you lift your hand up just right where you are? Say, that's me today. God bless you. God, I thank you for the hands that are lifted. Thank you for the decision being made today. I pray you would make this real to them. Make it real in their hearts. Make it real. And where they're at and what they're going through, I pray now that that Jesus would become real to them. After church, lead them to that next step table. Lead them to get a Bible. Lead them to find out what's next. We bless them now in Jesus' name. All God's people said amen and amen and amen. Um, Oof. If you need help sitting down, 
in your life. You need help resting. Last week, we prayed for insomniacs, people that have been having a hard time sleeping. We had three people testify to say, I went to sleep perfect that night, no problem. But if you're here today, you're overworked. You're like, I need to find a place of rest. I need a Sabbath. I need a nap. I need something. If that's you and you need prayer today, can I pray for you? Just would you be honest and say, that's me. I see a couple. Come on. I see you. Just, I just need to find, I need to sit. This has been prepared. It's hard though, huh? To see that the table's there when you're so focused on the fight. Lord, thank you for every hand that's lifted. I pray that you would supernaturally turn their focus to what you've prepared. Lord, we come against that spirit that says this is not enough. He needs to do more. God, if you never did another thing, that's enough. And so today, would you turn our focus back towards you? Turn our focus towards what you've prepared. We thank you that even in the presence of our enemies, you've prepared a table. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen and amen. Come on, church, you received that word today. Awesome.